Right. Well, Jack Hamner, welcome to the uh, Grad Life podcast. Delighted to have you. Thank you very much, sir. Delighted to be here. So uh, to the listeners, Jack and I were actually at school together. Jack was the year below me. And uh, if you didn't hear, I was on his podcast a couple of weeks ago. So uh, whenever we meet up over the years, we have incredible chats. And so we did think it was worthwhile to get two of them going here and see what we come up with. So Jack is a performance and well-being coach and speaker. He goes around and does talks in companies and uh, schools and universities and all sorts of different places. And I've actually been at one of the talks and they're pretty incredible. So uh, I'd highly recommend if you're in a company or in a school or a college or anything, uh, definitely just check out his Instagram and, and see what he's made of and, and uh, try to get him in. So yeah, Jack, we finally, uh, we finally land here. I'd like to talk a little bit about your grad life and uh, how you obviously recovered from a pretty remarkable uh, turn at age, at age 19 and, um, and went on to have a, relative, like a, a normal grad life and now hopefully an extraordinary career as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, so just we, we'll probably look to talk through that journey and talk a bit about identity as well. As I've been telling you, that's the idea that's on my mind the most these days. And uh, I'm just kind of fascinated by it. And it's the type of thing that we would talk about on one of our lunches if we were in Dublin. So um, I'd love to, to get your take on that. Absolutely. So will we start from the beginning and maybe learn a little bit about your accident? And uh, we'll, we'll leave people going to your side for all the details and, and for the uh, the full story, the A story, but um, to give them an idea of, of, of uh, what you've kind of been through and, and, and your life today. A hundred percent. And um, I love, like, it's it's such a salesman thing to just get the plug in early. So thanks for that. My <laughs> <laughs> friend. Um, <laughs> planting the seed. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be it'd be lovely to have this as like uh, people feel like they're just listening in on a chat. But to set the scene, um, as you said, where you were the year ahead of me in school, and and you you went ahead and went traveling, and I went on my own way too. And I remember being at the end of my first year in college. I was studying pharmacy and like you kind of get to that age in your late teens before you hit your 20s where hopefully you've answered some of the questions you had as a teenager about who you are and you have some sense of identity and for me I had been through that period of questioning about like how do I fit in like I questioned the body image that I had Um, a relatively slim guy in in a rugby school I questioned how I fit in with the crew my spirituality that I've been brought up in you know all the things that sort of make you who you are and I had a very good sense of myself and it all culminates in this moment where at the end of that first summer of college I head down to the west of Ireland and this was the place where people talk about finding their tribe or their people Uh, at that time this was very much that space for me and it was the place I would go to work as a windsurfing instructor and a lifeguard and water sports were my passion at that time and so this was heaven for me and on one of the first days down there I remember cycling off to the beach totally by, by myself in the evening and it's one of those ideal scenes where as I looked back down the beach the only footprints in the sand are my own and the sun is gently setting over the waves 
And I just caught myself smiling because, and I think we can all remember a time where we just catch ourselves in the moment smirking away. And for me, it was the first time that I could remember just being really content with who I was, who I was becoming, the things I had on in my life and what I had done in terms of taking action to get to where I was. And it was the first time I can remember really feeling that contentment of I'm happy with who I am and who I'm becoming. And at the end of that summer, which was about eight weeks later, I headed away on holidays with, uh, I think it was about seven of my best mates from home and home and school. And on the first day on that holiday in Portugal, as I'd done so many days that summer, I ran down the beach, dived into the water, not anticipating just how shallow the water was. And my head collided with the sand. And in that moment, I broke my neck. And so it's this kind of surreal thing where I was completely calm and uh, you wouldn't think you would react that way. But I just remember the things that are almost like a movie playing out in front of my eyes, like the things that are most important just flooded into my mind. So I thought of my mum and dad, my two sisters back at home, our dog Poppy. I thought of my girlfriend at the time and the dinner we had planned for the end of that week. I thought of the lads on the beach and would they get to me before I blacked out or would they, if they didn't, how would they live with that and would they be all right? And basically, here I am today. I got taken from the water and in the months and years that ensued, my reality was changed dramatically. Um, Now I get around the world on wheels. Um, I have about 15% muscle function. So I had a spinal cord injury and I have use of my shoulders, biceps and wrists. So I have little to no movement uh, below my armpits. And going from a position where you felt like you had the world at your feet, um, where you were just getting to a point of being comfortable in your own skin and where you were going to literally barely being able to scratch your nose, um, not being able to breathe unaided, not being able to feed yourself, not being able to really control anything and literally being like a child again, having the umbilical cord cut as I learned first to breathe by myself again, then to use this 15% muscle function to become as independent as I possibly could. But more importantly than any of that, to navigate the mental landscape that I now existed in and to go back and ask all those questions again fundamentally like you talk about identity at the beginning of this fundamentally I had to ask all those questions again where do I fit in in the world now how do I how do I interact in the world how do I have a a meaningful place and life Um, what does that even look like do I relate in the same way to myself and my friends and hardest of all was probably the body image thing was huge going from like quite an athletic young guy um, to having that massive change in how my body operated and sort of 
learning to love my body again was and is a big journey in terms of appreciating it for what it can do and what it's been through and all of that. The hardest question of all is had I fundamentally changed as a person? And in some ways, yes, in some ways, no. And ultimately, I realized that I'm still the same Jack, but that I had unlocked this kind of mental toolkit that so many of us have. And I call it the other self. And it's that part of ourselves that we only awaken when we take on a big challenge or we're faced with a big challenge in our lives. And where we realize that we're capable of more than we imagined and that we have power of choice in so many moments where and circumstances where previously we might not have imagined or perceived and it gives you a whole new way of interacting and experiencing with the world of understanding um, your place in it as well and so it's been an interesting journey this is a, there's a ton of things that I want to go into here. Um, I, I'm going to start with that last sentence. So because that's what grad life is about, figuring out your place in the world and tying that to both identity and your story. What, what was that journey like? How did so you, you know, not, not to go too step by step, but you got out of the water and you went to hospital and, and you recovered and then you kind of had to get on with things. What was that journey like over, say, four or five years? Yeah. So I think at the end of my teenage years, I was arriving to the point where CEO was a thing and, or CAO, CEO, CAO. Um, CAO, I thought you were going to say you wanted to be a CEO. I was like, why not? That was you, man. (laughs) Um, So CEO, uh, options became a thing and I just knew that I I was interested in the intersection between uh, science and people and I didn't know what that looked like so obviously like you put down medicine because that's what everyone tells you you should do so medicine goes to yeah your family are also pharmacists and there's an identity thing there as well yeah I'll touch on that now um so the only so anyway, I, I had medicine down for six choices. I missed it on the HPAT the day that we were going to Portugal. Or no, the day that I went on my sixth year holiday, I found out I didn't get it. And I remember being relieved. And then I found myself in science. And I remember being four weeks in and thinking, this is going nowhere. Um, I could see no end game. And so I took out the prospectus again and the only page that I hadn't considered is pharmacy because my dad is a pharmacist and my dad is one of my best mates. Like I have such respect and an amazing relationship for for my dad and what he does and how he is with the people in the community and all of those things and the service and, and what they do. But there's a certain element, I think, of wanting to carve your own path. And so I didn't even consider it. And as I read it, I was like, oh, science and people. 
that kind of makes sense. And so I transitioned into pharmacy and my interest was always rather than on the idea of sick care. I cared about health and people's well-being. And so much of the health system is actually targeted at managing sickness. It's managing Mm -hmm. dis-ease. And that was something that played on me. And as I went back to pharmacy then, I loved it in first year. And my big ambition in rehab was to get back to college for the following year. And so 13 months post-injury, I arrived back to, to college, living away from home, and like talk about being outside your comfort zone like at that stage i had nothing figured out like it was taking me three hours and the assistance of two people just to get up in the morning like it was just next level uh challenge but i came through those putting myself outside my comfort zone in in that dramatic a, a way allowed me to expedite the process of coming to terms with the spinal injury because I didn't really give myself a choice. If I wanted to exist in the world, I had to learn how to manage the day-to-day bits and pieces, how to like refine my habits and routines and to become uh, functional again. And mm. that was a, an amazing learning curve because when I started to do that, I started to question about well, what else is possible for me in my life. And all of this was happening as I was going in the years I was going through pharmacy and look, we can go into it, but people can check out uh, my story and stuff and loads of interesting things happened during those years. And we brought it down lots of different avenues. And what I discovered though, during those years was that ultimately uh, it reaffirmed for me that I was interested in health and people's well-being fundamentally i was interested in people and there was a bit of an internal conflict that was growing within me about um finding myself in in an area that a lot of the time you're interacting with sick care and so over the years i moved through college i finished uh, pharmacy and did my masters which allowed me to practice And during that time, I got to spend uh, six months researching and six months doing uh, clinical practice in a pharmacy. And I loved engaging with customers. Uh, I loved dealing with the public. And I was really natural at it. Uh, People couldn't believe how fast I would build relationships and um, all of those things. And I just love people. And what became really evident during that time was that given my circumstances and reality physically that it as good as i was at elements of the job that i wasn't going to be able to physically interact with the full range of what was required Mm -hmm. and that really started to grate on me because I wanted to be able to excel at what I was doing and I wanted to be able to have a real sense of fulfillment. And I always knew, I knew that if there was always a piece of the the role that I couldn't, that I couldn't interact with fully, 
that I would never feel properly fulfilled in that. And so I started to look elsewhere and that led me to taking on an internship in Johnson & Johnson. And during the years in college, I had done a variety of different things. I'd started doing a lot of speaking and getting involved in social entrepreneurship societies and doing some interesting projects. And that all that kind of fed into me being able to get this internship. And it was for the first six months, absolutely wonderful. I worked uh, in Janssen, which is a uh, the pharmaceutical division of Johnson & Johnson, which is the most diversified healthcare company in the world. And I worked with their external affairs team, which is essentially their communications team. And we did some really interesting projects during that time. So I have a huge passion about mental health, and I was really interested in healthcare innovation at that time as well. And so I got to be a part of a team that led this um, project called Growing Conversations, which was basically we did one of the big gardens at the Bloom Festival. And for anybody that's listening from abroad, it's like the Irish version of the Chelsea Flower Show. And Growing Conversations was a collaboration between Janssen and uh, several different mental health organizations. And we um, ran like interactive workshops to represent the stories of people with 10, living with 10 different uh, mental health challenges from anxiety to bipolar, to depression, to schizophrenia, to split personalities, people who'd recovered from trauma, loads of different things. And it was fascinating. And that was hugely successful. And I loved so many elements of that. I loved the the team dynamic. I loved the novelty of the projects that we were working on. I I thought it was a really engaged um, team and project because it was making such a, a direct impact. And we could see that, the good that a big company can do when it wants to. And I loved it. And then I got to uh, be a big part of running uh, Janssen's involvement with uh, InspireFest, which is basically a two-day celebration of innovation in the areas of science, technology, engineering, maths, and design that happens in the Borgosh Theatre with a couple of thousand people. And again, another amazing experience. And... I finished that period on an absolute high and I went into at that point the innovation center and that sounded so sexy to me I was like this is going to be unreal and what I came to understand when I got in there is that all the innovation was happening elsewhere Really, what the innovation center was, was about researching, building um, a network with people who were doing innovation in uh, in small biotech startups, in in small medical device startups, in projects for drug discovery that had spun out of universities. It was very much in 
uh, the niche areas around the world. So you're talking about London, um, Shanghai, the Bay Area in San Francisco, Boston, um, on a number of other areas around the world that were like hotspots for um, medical innovation and research. And what these innovation centers did was they leveraged the bank account or the balance sheet of Johnson and Johnson. And they essentially were full of people that were out scouting for the next uh, therapy or treatment or uh, medical intervention in different areas. So whether it was cancer treatments or um, uh, implants for knees or hips or joints, or whether it was a novel virus to treat the influenza or whatever it was um, to do with skincare and different things like that. And again, that sounds wonderful until I realized that ultimately it was a research job for investment. That How can someone avoid uh, falling into that trap of being like missold a really cool sounding thing uh, versus what it actually is? Because that's such a big problem for people is they get uh, not jaded, what's it called, disillusioned in jobs. Yeah, well, well, I certainly got disillusioned when I went in there. <laughs> And it wasn't for lack of having good people around. It was just a fundamental mismatch in terms of what I saw on the website as to what they did and the realities on the ground. And I think that the best way is always to not ask the senior people it's to ask the people that are new in the door because there's this thing. um, And I just released a podcast today about it, about the levels of competence and the people in senior management have like a really high level of competence in their niche areas, in their area of expertise. Um, And what happens at that stage is so much of it becomes second nature that they don't really know how to explain exactly what's going on. Whereas somebody or, or how they do what they do, they just know how to do it. Mm. And um, it's like driving. When you yeah. get good at driving, you, you don't really know how you do it. You just get in and you do it. Yeah. Um, but when you're earlier in your career, it's conscious competence that you get to. And you have to actively really think about what you're doing and how you do it and it takes a lot of effort and it's people that are at that stage of their career that you really want to uh, touch base with before you go in because they'll be able to give you the perspective from the level you'll be coming in at and what it actually looks like on the ground every day Mm. like little did i know that i'd be spending x number of hours every day um, researching and putting together documents and yeah like away away from people and maybe reporting to my manager uh, once every week if not every two weeks and then again I was working remotely a lot of the time because 
I was based in Dublin and they were in London and I became very detached. Um, I, I, the sense that I had was that I was very detached from the people that I was working with. I found that hard, um, especially as someone that was just starting in there. Had I been there in a couple of years and then start, decided to work remotely, maybe that would have been entirely different. But I think it's a challenge for people that are going to be onboarding now during this time. A lot of people will onboard remotely. And it just be prepared that it is challenging to get your head around a new job at the best of times. Yeah. Um, but there's an extra layer um, when you only know people via phone call or video conference. Yeah, um, it's tough. I, I, so it's funny because that points out for you a core value, which is community, which I had as well. Uh, some people don't like it. Some like heavy introverts, just want headphones in, nobody to disturb them type of thing. And they might find that they actually love onboarding in a time like this or that they prefer not having the attachment. But for you and for I, we both realized early on that community was going to be a core sort of tenet uh, in, mm. in a career, which I think is, is it is common. Uh, it's probably maybe even more common among our generation who, who expect that level of community. Google and the likes have probably changed that. So we see you picking up different values then along the way because the, the Bloom Festival showed you that you just love working with uh, people and that wellness, be it mental or physical wellness, uh, matters to you and kind of helping people with that. Uh, the experience in the pharmacy then helped uh, or, or kind of showed you that working frontline with people is uh, that you're just really good at it. Um, and then uh, Johnson Johnson, the Innovation Center, showed you that you wanted to work in the community or with the team. Did you, uh, were you constantly picking up these pieces of information along the way or did, does it all just make sense in hindsight? Well, it's, it's a little bit of both actually, Mark, because I was very consciously dabbling in different areas and trying to get as much experience as quickly as possible in different settings. So I did like, if you think about it, in my intern year, I did research, I did and practice I then went on and took three months out actually and did like just speaking um, and then I began the job and I I suppose that's an in, important part of my journey is that I took those three months out and did loads of speaking in between graduating as a pharmacist and starting the job in Johnson & Johnson and it whet my appetite for a couple of major things that were would become big values in terms of my career was that I had um, autonomy over my time, um, which was uh, my, my time and my location. Um, it allowed me to have, for example, um, quite a bit of introverted time where I could prepare and get my ideas together and plan and then to go out and have a very extroverted burst where I would mm. speak or run a workshop or deliver. And I would have a real sense of community and, and having a big impact for, for that time. And then again, I could recoup my energy, energy and come back. And for me, that was a particularly important thing given my circumstances was this whole idea of energy management and as I went through the time in Johnson & Johnson, 
what I recognized was it was going to be increasingly difficult for me to be able to thrive in an environment where I would have had to compete, if you want to use that word, or match myself against the energy levels, not necessarily energy levels, but the flexibility and um, length of hours and things like that, that others would put in. And I was really clear that my health and well-being, number one, was the most important thing to me. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice that. The second thing that was important to me was the relationships in my life. And I really didn't want to sacrifice that. And the third thing that was important to me was meaningful work. And I just found this gnawing inside again. And I think that's the kind of thing that tells you it's like pointing to something and you need to get curious about what that is rather than just let it fester. And what was showing up for me was that in this corporate environment, as much flexibility as they could give me compared to many jobs, um, I still had the sense that you need to be more in control of how you how you do what you do and when you do what you do and where you do what you do, given your circumstances. But there was also just a thing within me that needed to be expressed. And after a period of time I of needing to do something on my own, after a period of time, I just couldn't deny that anymore because the voice got louder and louder. And I had been... I suppose during the years after my injury, I turned so much to personal development and all my, the people I really looked up to and saw as mentors, even if I didn't know them, people I followed online were all coaches and people in that sort of psychology Mm -hmm. and personal development and um, I suppose therapeutic modality fields and I just became engrossed in that. And it was like an alter life that I led in some ways, because in many ways, people said, what do you do? And, and I would say, well, I'm a pharmacist and I work here and so on. But so much of my time would be spent completely engrossed in this whole other area. And the internal tension just started to rise all the time. And that quiet voice got louder and louder and you can only push it down with distraction so many times before you need to pay attention or you're going to break in some way. And it's funny you had that because as you say that for some reason, I'd never thought about this since when I was working in Macquarie, people used to ask what I did and I'd said, I, I, this would be my answer every single time. I'm a banker. Well, wait, I'm not actually a banker. I'm more of a guy who works in a bank. And I had such a problem on a like deep level with identifying myself in that way that literally every single time I'd have to add that second sentence in. And yeah. like eventually I had to face it and make a decision. On. And it's really hard to face it. <clears throat> it's really hard. And it took me so much time to convince myself that it's okay to pursue your own path. It's okay that this job doesn't work out and as let down as they might be, the biggest disservice that you can do 
to them and to yourself is not to pay attention to the signals that you're getting from yourself because the internal dissonance and tension and discontent just builds and builds and builds and that's where we see stuff like mental health issues that's where we see disengagement at work that's where we see um uh, wasted resources and so many things you're causing that company a problem in a relatively short period of time by your disengagement and and wasted hours in work and their hours and days that you never get back again and so yeah. as hard as it is facing that um is is i think it's one of the most courageous things that anybody can do and mm. it might leave you in the lurch it might leave yeah. you really scratching your head being like well what happens next but that's when curiosity comes in again and it happens during your 20s that's the time to start understanding and figuring this stuff out and all it is is feedback it's it's one thing that didn't work that gets you closer to what will yeah i went through a severe version of that as well um you painted at the start a very clear i love the way you, you did a, a picture of you cycling along on your bike um uh, was it an ackle in in the west it was in the west somewhere i pictured it an ackle for some reason and you're cycling along with the grin on your face so picturing that now if i went up to that guy and just showed him a video of what you have done since then what would he think what would he say or feel about how his life went in front of him uh, for the next 10 years? Um, yeah, well, it's, I suppose it's coming up on eight years at the end of the summer, which is mad. He'd be, first of all, if he knew that was him, he'd be really proud. Um, and that's kind of hard to say out loud, but he would be. That's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Um, I think he'd be sad that he didn't get to, um, just have like to buy a, a hippie van and go and travel around the beaches of Ireland for a couple of years, um, windsurfing and surfing. Um, I know he spent some time in Australia. I wanted to spend time out there just going from beach to beach. Um, there's some pretty, pretty sweet, uh, spots out there, but, um, so he'd be a little bit sad about that, but I think he'd be so impressed with um, just the courage that he showed in, first of all, getting getting back going, and then secondly, of, to a certain extent, letting go of a number of expectations that he felt from the outside, like, and these weren't any of his own or his family's expectations, but their society's expectations of how he should show up having spent five years studying pharmacy and mm. how, how he should use that and, and so on. And like, I have to say that it was one of the biggest battles that I had was letting go of what I thought I should do to do what I knew I should, what I needed to do mm. um, and to face up to that reality because that conflict just got too big and I was making myself sick um, and the inner turmoil was never going to be worth that. And so 
at the beginning of September last year, I made the decision. So that was 2019. And at the end of that month, I, I moved away from that job. And my manager at the time, when I came to hand in my notice to her, um, I had raised it a little bit earlier that summer that I was having a conflict. And it maybe wasn't received very well at the time. And I can understand why. Um, but when it came to the time, she, I always remember, she was like, this is the right thing for you to do. And I think when you're clear about your intentions and why you're doing what you need to do, you should never um, fear the, the judgment of a manager or a boss or anybody else because the, the person that you need to be happy with when it's all said and done is yourself. Mm. And the thing was, is when I got out of my own way, so much just started to unfold. And in the next week or two, um, an insane thing happened where it was almost like in some ways the universe was just like, thanks for getting out of your own way, Jack. And the inbox just started to fill up. And for the next 12 weeks, I had at least one engagement every week. That's and that's unheard of in terms of like I hadn't even advertised that I had left my job and that I was doing this. It, but what I failed to recognize was just how big the dissonance was because for the previous five years, I had been networking in those circles of speaking and coaching and workshop facilitation. I had been training in all of those areas. I had qualified as a life coach. I had done facilitation work. I had been speaking at events and so on, building my hours. And I got to the point, it, it, it all kind of, when you look back, you can connect the dots that it makes sense how it happened that you needed to feel the pain that you felt in different ways for it all to, to come to, to where, where it actually made sense, you know? Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, what do you understand now that the you on the bike didn't understand? I think something that hasn't changed is and it did change for a number of years but I think this was this learning was huge and it took me a couple of years to peel the layers back again to get back to it that that 19 year old cycling off to the beach on his bike his his wants and his desires and the things that he needed in his life to be content were actually really simple. And it took me six years to allow myself be okay 
with the fact that actually the things that I want in my life are really simple, mm. that I didn't need to have the complexity of having a million things going on and that I didn't need to have the accolade of my CV being speckled with glory and I didn't need all of those things. And actually, if I was honest with myself, that I didn't want them either. That what I wanted was to feel that at the end of the day, that you have made an impact in somebody's life for the better. Um, that person it has a better relationship with themselves, with their mental health, with their physical health, with their emotional health, or their spiritual well-being in some way because you interacted with them they see new possibilities for what they're capable of and who they can become and how they can take daily actions to reaffirm the identity that they're trying to create um that they're clear about the values that are important to them and who uh who and how they have to be in the world to get to to live those values if I knew that that was the work that I was going to get back to doing, um, I think I would have been pretty happy with myself. Mm. And ultimately, at age 19, the things that mattered to me was that I was doing work. I was training to do work that I, I believed I would find meaningful in the future. I was at that time doing work that was meaningful for me, which was instructing and spending my days on the beach i had myself surrounded by relationships where i had people that were both supporters when i was struggling and cheerleaders when i was doing well and that's so important for people to surround surround yourself and be both of those people for the people in your life be the supporter when times are tough and be the cheerleader that eggs people on to keep doing well when they are going well and and finally i was every day investing in my health at that time and i was really well and if i took if it took me six six and a half years of pursuing loads of different things of getting wound up in layers of complexity and all of that just to get back to the simplicity of what actually matters to me and being okay with that 100% worth it in a globalized world where we're constantly exposed to people who are achieving so much and you even talk about some of those guys you see on um on youtube or instagram i, I don't know who but i'm guessing like the gary v's or the tony robbins or whoever is it harder in a globalized world looking at those people every day achieve impact such impact at such scale like really hitting home with millions of people is it harder to feel satisfied with a smaller scale impact when you're exposed to that every day and how do you reconcile that sort of because i think i struggle with that a little bit if i had a really good impact on one person i would then go online and see someone having an impact on a million people and i'd be like geez i'm way behind or you know it, it doesn't it takes away from it somewhat how do you deal with that yeah, massively. Um, I completely understand that. Like, I got it. That was one of the biggest things that let me get in my own way 
was that I thought I had to have it all figured out and I thought I had to help a hundred people or, or have an impact on a hundred people, but never, um, yeah, that I had to have an impact on a hundred people before I could do it with one person, but you only get to a hundred people or a thousand people or in their case, a million people, one person at a time. time yeah. And it's really hard to accept that because the people that we do see on social media and in the newspaper are the people that have either gotten hit the curve perfectly at the right upswing, which is rare, um, or they've been at it for years and years and years, and they've put huge energy into it, and they deserve to be getting that publicity, and they're good at what they do. Um, and so I think for me, I'm like, I'm more motivated than, than I ever otherwise would be because I'm doing something that's important to me, you know, working as a coach and as a speaker, uh, basically helping people to show up fully for themselves and for the people and the things that are important to them in their lives. Like I am more motivated to help um, have an impact in the world doing that work than I ever would have been doing anything else. And that's what's making me tick at the moment. And I got so much in my own way because I compared myself to those guys online, even guys closer to home. And I stopped myself from beginning, from taking imperfect action. And And it's only by taking imperfect action and beginning that you can ever hope to get better and someday to get to that point. Mm. But yeah, I, I just, I get, I get a hundred percent. We spend our, everything that we do and how we make sense of things in our mind is based on polarity. It is based on, on a comparison. Okay. So we don't know what it is to be hot if we haven't been cold. We don't know what it is to be happy unless we've experienced sadness. We don't know what it is to experience uh, uh, loss if we haven't loved someone. Everything in our minds is set up as as a polarity. We don't know, um, like without a goal to reach for um, and recognizing a starting point, we we there's no reason for us to take any action. And so having ambitions and goals and, and people that we set in some way as role models or a benchmark is important, but they're, they, they should be there as an inspiration to us rather than an obstacle. Um, and it took me a long time to get that into my head because I can learn from those people and They'll do it differently than me, but, and they might be years ahead of me and be doing it on a much bigger scale. But that doesn't mean that what I do every day isn't valid and the way that I interact with the world um, won't someday, someday be just like they do. For some reason, I, I, I'm kind of likening this to business and I'm just imagining if Say if you, you had a little uh, coffee shop that you went to every day in Rathof or something, and they just, and you love them, you rely on them for your everyday coffee, you go in, you have your chat, like they're a part of your day-to-day life. 
they close down because they're not Starbucks, they decide one day. <laughs> that would be an awful shame for you and every, every everyone else who went to that cafe to whom it was just a meaningful thing. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Because as I say, it's something I think about a lot. And uh, I, it sounds like you're further down that journey than I am. I find it very interesting. Um, we're close enough on time. There's actually a couple of like quick fire questions uh, that I've just thought of as, as, you've, as you've spoken and as, as I've heard you say certain things. Um, one is, do you feel you were destined to be in this position or do you feel, still feel like a guy who was taken on this path? That's a really interesting question. None of us know how our lives is going to pan out. You're a prime example of that. Yeah. What I think, what I think our job is, is look, so many people go away to find themselves and they, they think, oh, I have to find meaning. I tend to disagree with that because I think we create ourselves and we we create meaning in our lives and so whether it was destined to be this way that that i would things would unfold as they did and i don't think there's accidents everything everything is happening as it should to a certain extent but it takes us being willing to take what happens and how things unfold and to work with that for it to properly emerge as what it could be. And to that extent, I think we create meaning in our lives by how we interpret the things that happen and what we do with them. And I think that we, we create ourselves in terms of the simple things that you mentioned, like identifying the values that are important to you and taking action on a regular basis that is in, al- in alignment with those things. That's the way you create yourself. You know, mm. do you want to look down the line in 20 or 30 years and say you li- live someone else's life or do you want to live your own life and that doesn't necessarily mean that you start a company or, or go out and work for yourself, but that might mean being really honest and saying, you know what, actually being an entrepreneur isn't the right thing for me. I would love the stability of working as an accountant Mm. and I'm okay with that. Um, and the things that are important to me are maybe my family and, having a good group of mates and I'm going to take action on a regular basis to, to nurture those things. And when life throws up things at me and things go awry as they inevitably will for us all framing that and saying, well, what can I learn from this rather than just why me? And we all exist in that why me space for a while, but Mm -hmm. then saying, okay, well, why not me? Why not now? What can I learn from this? when we start flipping questions in our head like that, that's when we can actually take how things unfold in our life and create meaning out of it. I actually gave a talk on that recently. It's funny you used those words, why me? And uh, I was explaining that why me is actually the perfect reaction to take. But where people go wrong is 
they don't do it with a pen and paper in their hand. They just shout, why me? Their question is, why me? But you're supposed to answer. You're supposed to just take notes and think, okay, why did this happen to me? Why does it make sense that this will happen to me? Where is this going to lead me to next? Why me is the name of the exercise. It's not just something you shout to the heavens and then kind of uh, give up all hope. Why me? If you actually stick around to answer that question, it will get you a lot of, a lot of the way out of the situation that you're in. Um, yeah, I love it. That's certainly my take. Uh, and before you go, what would be one quote that you would, uh, that you would leave us with that has helped you through tough times? So I'm going to actually share something that I wrote. And, um, classic. Classic, JK. Class. Uh, um, didn't you write a book (laughs) Uh, um, no but uh, so I wrote this at the period where that that internal conflict was just rising and rising and rising and anyway I sat down to write in a journal just like you said to try and figure it out and what I wrote was this There is no right or wrong path, just a series of events that gives us a flavor of either what it is that sets our heart alight or dampens our soul. What I do know to be true is that in a world that is not always a smooth ride and a life that is more disillusioned, disconnected and full of people wearing masks than ever before, the bravest thing that any person can possibly do, despite the challenges they may face is to bring their authentic selves to the world and that that is when the magic will happen. So everything that I'm about is helping people to feel more connected to themselves and others, helping them feel less disillusioned and more have more clarity and to lower the masks that they wear so that they can show up as themselves for their life. And if we can even make progress on some of those things the world gets to see a bit of their magic and they deserve that and everybody else does as well pains me to say that was the best quote we've had on this thing so far as much as i want to slag you for doing your own that was fucking quality jk thank you very much for joining us oh man love it we'll do it again yeah let's keep it going is that a thing can i invite myself back (laughs) absolutely maybe going and looking for guests (laughs) (laughs) that was quality